Geopolitics and Empire is joined by fellow Spanish-speaking Croat Alex Craner. He's the author of books like Mastering Uncertainty in Commodities Trading, Grand Deception, and Trend Following Bible. He's a hedge fund manager based in Monaco and founder of Craner Analytics and iSystem Trend Following, a subscription service that helps people navigate trends profit- profitably in multiple financial and commodity markets. It's good to have you back, Alex. How are things in Croatia, Monaco, or wherever you are? I'm in Monaco right now. Thank you. Very good to join you. I, I have to, before we start, uh, I have to give you my kudos because uh, ever since I discovered your program, I spent many, many hours watching and listening because you uncover these incredible experts from domains that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't know about. And I, I, I don't know how you figure them out, how you uh, source them, but I'm very grateful that you do because I get to learn uh, very, very interesting things that otherwise I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have ever heard about. So uh, to answer your question, I'm in Monaco now, but I did spend uh, spend about six weeks in Croatia over the summer, which was wonderful. And now we're uh, back in the in the in the fighting mode again in uh, in Monaco. Yeah, that's that good to hear. Uh, now you're re-energized and ready to go. I would just comment on uh, on what you said. You know, I, I've kind of what I've done with the program has kind of been out of necessity. A lot of the podcasts and radio shows and stuff that I've listened to over the past few decades. I feel like they've stopped doing, they've stopped talking to all these like interesting experts. And, and I'm like, I want to hear from these people. So I might as well, you know, reach out to them uh, myself. So, uh, all right, before, and before I get then to my first question, um, I wanted to just remind listeners to subscribe to the email list, the telegram, the Twitter, and all other platforms like me, we, minds, gab, floats, odyssey, brighton, bit shoot, because I'm being uh, censored and I'm doing this full time now. So your do- donations are not only appreciated, but essential. And I also want to, um, to ra- remind people to check out the first interview I did with Alex about a year ago. And I think it was October 2020. Uh, and that interview dealt with why he thinks the banking cartel is driving the crown virus uh, agenda. I think it was a seminal interview that stands the test of time and is even more relevant uh, today. So on to the first question now. Alex, you recently published a great article and accompanying video on your iSystem website discussing Afghanistan. And let me just quote from it here. Quote, the loss of Afghanistan not only stops the gravy train out of that nation, it also jeopardizes the empire's hegemony over its coveted Eurasian world island and ultimately everywhere else. The empire has already been checkmated in Ukraine, it lost Syria, and their hold on Iraq has all but slipped away. Afghanistan may well prove to be its mortal wound. Through history, empires have almost invari- invariably been sordid business, as Tacitus wrote. They plunder, they but- butcher, they ravish, and they call it by the lying name of empire. They make a desert and call it peace. So if today's empire has been mortally wounded, and I believe it has, then good riddance, end quote. I would tend to agree with you that Afghanistan signals the end of empire. Others are echoing this sentiment from Russians like Alexander Dugin, who recently published a post saying the same, to a number of patriotic uh, American writers publishing in the American mind, spiked and elsewhere. But sometimes I wonder, you know, the empire seems resilient. So is this really the death knell for the American empire? And, and what does, you know, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan mean going forward? Um, well, I think that first of all, I would uh, I would qualify the, the the term American Empire because I think that today uh, the the fact that the American military force and economic mind might is uh, 
supporting the empire has less to do with the American people and the United States Republic than it has with a certain nexus of power that um, I think uh, if you if, if you get to the bottom of things, it's it's uh, it's clustered around the financial capital around the the international banking cartel and the corporations that have uh, that have grown up uh, around it. Uh, I think that in all cases through history, empires have been uh, more uh, a structure of power, um, a small a small network of powerful people and powerful organizations that simply uh, co-opt and infiltrate the political might of, uh, let's call it, national entities, and then uh, use their military muscle and their economic muscle to get to their own, um, to get to to uh, pursue their own agendas. So, uh, the case of today's empire, it has it has begun. It was born as the British Empire, and then after World War One, it kind of transferred the 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 military headquarters and the political headquarters to the united states but i believe that the ideological and uh, and the uh, intellectual uh, home turf is still london and so what does it mean that they got kicked out of afghanistan well first of all it's been a humiliated defeat humiliating defeat because you know like if you go back 20 years ago the it was it was common to say that this is United States is the greatest fight, fighting force that there ever was. Nobody wanted to risk getting invaded by the United States. Nobody thought that they could resist the United States. And I think that this uh, facade has completely crumbled now. Uh, you know, if you if you cannot secure a country uh, and protect it from uh, a limited force of peasants in in, with using very old style to Second World War weapons, then, you know, like, how can you fight great rivals like uh, China or Russia? How can you dream about invading uh, and regime changing Iran? Um, and so that, that, is a, that is already a very, a very big blow for the empire, but already also the... Um, the spectacle of the Afghan president fleeing with bags of cash. Uh, two days later, uh, Afghan's central bank chief also fleeing the country. That's a signal that the empire cannot protect its servants. And the empire depends on its servants. You know, like in every country that they go, they create a network of corrupt officials that enable the empire to uh, bring in its own corporations, to sell their own goods, to win uh, contracts, and to to basically get to indebt the country on behalf of Western banks for the benefit of Western corporations and so forth. But you need local officials that will make all that stick and give it the a veneer of legality you know, with the laws that they passed. But then these officials need to be protected. They need to be safe. And, you know, like, if they have to flee the country the day you announce that you're going to withdraw, then that's a very, very bad sign and a, and a big warning to their puppets and servants everywhere else, which is, you know, all of Middle East, Africa, uh, South America, 
Central America and so forth. Now they all realize that they can't rely on the protection of, of, uh, of the empire. And so I think that ultimately they will have to make nice with their own people. They will not be able to just plow over the society and implement their uh, fourth industrial revolution and build back better and force everybody to accept these, these uh, insane measures. And so they'll have to compromise, they'll, they'll have to um, seek support from within their own countries, from the grassroots, and they will have to think about cooperating with uh, other powers, primarily China and Russia. And so you mentioned again that that you know the from the city the British Empire then kind of moved the military might uh, to Washington, and that's been spent now. Kind of, I mean, where does it go from here? Do you, do you see it now going uh, somewhere else? Uh, you know, some people talk about China as as this new r rising uh, power, or, or and and what's going to happen from here on out? As we see, you know, when when empires decline, sometimes they just w withdraw, kind of like they, instead of going out with with a bang they go out kind of like with a fart or something uh or or do you think uh, or on the other extreme sometimes they they have this hubris they kind of go crazy and 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 you know there's miscalculations and wars start so uh, what are your thoughts there well i think that your your question is 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 it anticipates one of the most interesting questions in this uh, one of the most interesting developments in this uh, uh, set of circumstances. And I, I, I have to say, this is something that I intend to research a little bit uh, uh, more uh, thoroughly. But one thing that I've been observing is that, you know, like there's been a rift between China and the West. And when I say the West, I'm not speaking about uh, the tip with, uh, with uh, Jing, Xi Jinping and uh, Donald Trump. I'm talking about the fact that uh, barely 10 years ago, people like Zbigniew Brzezinski and George Soros and so forth, uh, that, that whole, you know, um, uh, group, uh, they were speaking very affirmatively about China being the next global power, about uh, Ch China being uh, the nation that's going to own the globalization, that's going to be the leading economic and military superpower of the world. And who is going to lead the world into this, you know, next next phase of history? And then when you look at the at the at the history of uh, the relationship between China and the West, you see that uh, after after Nixon uh, went to China and China opened up to the West, that they have actually uh, propped up China very deliberately. And so the question that I had, and I, you know, like, I, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but uh, the question that I had is China obviously drew them in and China obviously played the role of like, we're going to be the next global cup. And up until 10 years ago or less, they really believed that they had their next host for the, for the empire. And it's obviously that now they no longer do, because if you look at uh, George Soros's statements about China uh, 10 years ago and his statements now, it has flipped from white to black. So he used to be gung-ho about China 2009, 2010. There's a statement of his in Financial Times saying that China is going to own the, the globalization process and it's going to be the leading superpower of the world to today saying that no, 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 we can't have China because, uh, you know, like the human rights, uh, they don't respect human rights and so forth, of course. 
And so uh, something went uh, sour there. And I have the impression, which I cannot substantiate now because the process is not very clear to me. The, the political process within China is not so clear to me, but it seems to me that China drew them in. The China played the role of like, okay, we're going to be the next global cup. They were allowed because it was very clear that China was allowed to devalue their currency, to become the world's most competitive exporter, the exporting superpower, that this was allowed through the World Trade Organization, that um, even when, you know, like uh, 10, 20 years ago, it was very clear that uh, China was abusing uh, their, their, uh, their currency. Um, they were, you know, like they did competitive uh, valuation that shouldn't have been allowed and that should have triggered um, retaliatory measures from the United States or Europe. That they were this was this was all allowed to happen, and there's the there's this there's this dilemma whether China actually intended to take on that role, or whether they simply misled this global elite. And so the reason why I believe that they misled the, the global elite is first the reactions of the global elites themselves, but then also uh, when you pay close attention to. Uh, Xi Jinping's uh, speeches and statements, you see that they are, uh, they did not forget their century of humiliation, that this is very, very present to them. It's very central to the way they look at their role in, um, in the world. And uh, it's very clear that they understand who has inflicted that century of humiliation on them. So it just, doesn't seem probable that knowing all that they would voluntarily make themselves the servant of that same network of power because it's also clear that that empire that network of power um, depletes the host it's done so with the with the great britain it's done so with the united states and if china agreed and accepted uh, being their their military muscle and their global cup, then China itself would become exhausted and depleted. And that's obviously that well, obviously not obviously, but uh, it 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 seems clear to me that they're not choosing that path. So, where does it go from here? I think that uh, I think that the empire has uh, has hit the brick wall, and I see that the you know British officials like 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 Tony Blair, for example, they're fantasizing about organizing a new coalition of the willing, about um, mobilizing their European partners and NATO and um, sourcing uh, military troops from Ukraine, from I don't know where else. But I think that these are, at this point, we're talking fantasies. We're, we're talking denial. You know, I think the game is up. Uh, I think that the, the, the next coming powers, China and Russia, have completely understood the game and they are playing uh, you know a 10 dimens dimensional chess against them and all the tricks and perfidy that they used over the last two three centuries are are not working anymore so i think it's uh, i think that the game is up for the western empire and i think that the united there there are healthy forces in the united states that uh, probably want to get the United States back on their Republican um, foundation, meaning to turn the nation again into a democratic 
People's Republic, and that they don't, do not want to be the, the empire's uh, bludgeon anymore. So I think that for everybody else, you know, you know so if you're not if you if you're not part of the 0.001%, if you're not uh, uh, you don't, if you do not have a vested interest in this empire, I think that's all good news. Yeah, and what you kind of just uh, brought out is is one of the key questions I keep asking my guests because I think it's one of the most important of this this um, struggle between you know East and West now China Russia and the British American Empire and it's, it's still not quite clear as you said whether the Chinese elites are on board with the Western elites, you know, with this new world empire they're trying to build, the Great Reset and, and this sort of thing. And I, I go back and forth because evidence comes out that makes you think, lean towards one side and then more evidence comes out, you know, the following week that makes you go back. Uh, and I was noticing Robin Monozzi, the Italian architect who I interviewed last year, was posting on his Telegram just yesterday that how in China they have uh, banned uh, forcing, you know, vac vaccination mandates for universities and, and schools, which is the opposite of what's happening in the West. So it seems like there is this kind of um, disconnect. And, and, and other things, I was my, my past, my previous guest, Artyom Lukin, who I just spoke to uh, on his Twitter, he was pointing out how Russia refuses to take any foreign funds to develop its in infrastructure, it, even from the Chinese. It doesn't want to become indebted and controlled by foreign capital. And so you you do see see kind of this sovereignty building in, in, in Russia and China. It's, it's, it's really hard to say, but I, I think you're on point there. Um, so moving on then from Afghanistan to the economy, you say that, quote, the fallout from Afghan events will have far reaching uh, consequences, end quote. Some have noted that two years after the Soviets left Kabul, in 1989, the USSR, USSR collapsed. It seems money printing has gone ultra exponential now. Uh, as the, the debt, uh, it was just reported Social Security in the US will run out in 12 years, one year earlier than expected. Inflation is going crazy. You know, Will the US collapse like the USSR are and what global economic uh, consequences does US withdrawal have from, you know, from Afghanistan have, not just for the US, but globally? A very good question. I think that uh, certain structures in the U.S. and the West in general, and uh, I don't want to. I also don't want to be unfair to the French, you know, because as this empire has political leverage in the U.K. and the United States, it also has very strong political leverage in France. So France is also part of this. Um, that's just an aside. So, so uh, one thing that I try to um, convey to people when when uh, we're, when we're talking about the economy is that it's very important to di di differentiate the the economy from the financial superstructure that's built on top of it so when i talk about the economy i mean that um you know we all do what we do in life you know some of us are uh, you know do podcasts other people cut hair bake bread um farmers, uh, car mechanics, architects, dentists, and so on. All of these people, regardless of what happened, you know, like you can do your podcast, the, the, you know, like the, the baker can bake bread, the farmer can farm still, the land still grows food. So all of those things can continue to operate without any interruption. The thing that uh, 
the thing where the interruptions happen, where, where the discontinuity happens, is that at some point uh, the money becomes worthless. So you have, okay, so one thing that's likely to happen here, you know, like, um, is that we're going to have, we're going to see interest rates rise considerably at some point in the future. Uh, we're going to see the equity and, and bonds bubble burst. Uh, there's going to be strong upward pressure on commodity prices. And uh, all of that together is probably going to lead uh, the, the American financial system towards uh, high rates of inflation. And so uh, what you have then is the loss of purchasing power of the dollar. And uh, depending on how, you know, uh, your previous guest, I heard him and he said, like, uh, the country that has um, the country, the nation that has the world's reserve currency cannot have hyperinflation. That's impossible. Well, the, you know, the, first of all, I'm not sure that that's right. Second of all, the, uh, the reserve currency status of the United States has already been shrinking for many years now. And it could shrink rapidly in the, in the coming future. And we already see that, you know, like uh, some 44% of what the American government is spending is bring, being printed out of thin air by the Federal Reserve. So it's not, it's not being taxed out of, the, out of a vibrant economy. It's being printed out of thin air. Um, all this money printed can, printing cannot not corrode the purchasing power of the dollar. Another uh, wild card there is that by virtue of having a um, reserve currency, you have an estimated $30 trillion of U.S. denominated assets abroad. So when, you know, like at some point you might have a stampede of foreign creditors uh, wanting to get rid of their dollars, you know. And so there are many, many risks on the horizon and there are very many good things uh, going that could keep this uh, system going for a very long time. So we are going to see disruptions, but these disruptions are on in the, in the financial realm, in the financial realm. And then uh, the payments are going to grind to a halt. But um, un unblocking that is the question of the circulation of the, of, the, of the currency. So if you have alternative currencies, whether it's going to be Bitcoin, whether people are going to uh, put their thinking caps on and invent uh, regional currencies and local currencies, whether people are going to whether the government is going to have uh, an alternative currency ready, whether states are going to all start issuing that, we don't know. That's going to come uh, from the initiative of the people. But we know that, for example, in the 1920s in Germany, when you had the Weimar uh, hyperinflation, that these uh, alternative local currencies just like started popping up like mushrooms in, 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 German, in German villages. Farmers still produce food, and uh, people who could who could access uh, villages and farms, they they were okay. People in the cities were in real trouble. But I I I think that people in the United States are seeing this coming. There's a there's a growing movement of uh, urban gardens, urban agriculture. People are people are getting together. They're organizing, and I think that all of these all of these little networks of people thinking forward. Um, kind of understanding that uh, a big storm is coming their way, they're going to be a bit more prepared. 
And so maybe they're going to be able to weather the blow, um, weather this crisis uh, a bit better than 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 what you might think in the darkest, you know, like in the darkest projections. And uh, you mentioned Bitcoin, and and I thought I'd just mention. I, I believe you started uh, not too long ago, perhaps a few months ago, uh, your YouTube channel, and now you're you're giving regular uh, updates. And in, in fact, today you just published, a, you know, like a 10, 13 minute update. And a few months ago, what caught my attention? You you started talking about Bitcoin, and you accurately predicted the fifty thousand dollar top uh, in bitcoin before it dropped to around you know 30,000 and then you accurate, accurately predicted its bounce uh, back up to 50,000 uh, again where it recently you know uh, returns to uh, i personally i'm still of the opinion that i don't trust crypto uh, or bitcoin and i i view it as as an elite project you know whose purpose is to bridge us into the central bank uh, digital currency system but you know nevertheless it's it seems like it's here to stay and it will become part of something like you know internet 2.0 um how do you view crypto or bitcoin in, in general and and how do you see cryptos and cbdc's kind of going forward just briefly well, okay, CBDCs already I view very negatively, you know, because the CBDCs are going to be uh, a, 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 an attempt, probably a failed attempt by the central banks to keep our in their keep us in their matrix and to give us no alternative but to use the currencies that they issue. And this is exactly the industrial scale wealth transfer mechanism that they've been using for the last 300 years to uh to extract wealth wealth from the populations they created to a very very narrow um circle of stakeholders with regards to crypto you know like my my thing is analyzing price charts so i don't really have a very strong view <clears throat> about bitcoin and all these things but you know like the the problem that we have is that uh with this with this with this insane off the charts unprecedented uh, quantitative easings that uh, all the major central banks in the world have been doing uh, there's such a quantity of uh, liquid assets of money in the world uh, that uh, you know like as soon as there's like uh, some little crisis or some little opportunity perceived in some market they very quickly trend up and go vertical and we've seen that in so many markets including bitcoin a few a few um, a few months ago right and so what do you have? You have uh, about uh, 200, an estimated $200 trillion in the shadow banking system. And shadow banking system is basically what you have in hedge funds, private equity, pension funds, um, endowments, and so forth. So th these, are, these are like financial institutions that are not, uh, not non-bank non financial institutions. So they're not regulated as, a, as, a, as, a, as lenders, but they nevertheless have this... Uh, enormous amount of uh, liquid investable assets under their control so you know like uh, when you you have these bitcoin is now its market cap is less than one tr one uh, trillion dollars like about 900 billion dollars right uh the gold and silver if you if you take if you want to exaggerate and estimate them maybe maybe they come up to uh to 10 trillion dollars on the other hand, you have these $200 trillion in the shadow banking system that's, uh, that's panicky, that can easily stampede into, into Bitcoin, into gold, into silver, and so forth. And so over the last few years, we've seen many assets um, that, uh, you know, like form this, form this little trend, and then all of a sudden it accelerates and it goes vertical like a hockey stick. 
And so this has been, you know, like uh, happening disconcertingly off, often in the last maybe five years. And Bitcoin did this last year. And uh, you had lumber prices do this uh, last year. And so I think this could, you know, Bitcoin could have that kind of appreciation still because simply the, the quantity of assets, quantity of money chasing these alternative assets is just enormous. And they react, they, they, they go like a herd in a big stampede. You know, like today they're buying Bitcoin at $20,000. One week later, they're buying it at $50,000. It doesn't matter, just buy Bitcoin. And so mm, saying that there's nothing behind Bitcoin, which is true, you know, it's a limited supply of nothing. Saying that uh, gold and silver are boring and nobody cares anymore. It's a, it's a barbarous relic and so forth. We don't know. We don't know where where the next stampede is going to be. It could be Bitcoin again. It could be other cryptocurrencies. It could be gold and silver because gold and silver have uh, have not done anything. They've been uh, they've been um, relatively depressed com compared to the prices of other commodities, and commodities themselves have been depressed relative to um, to other uh, traditional asset classes. And so anything's possible uh, with regards to Bitcoin. I, I simply look at the charts and then when there's a when there's an interesting situation, I like to point it out, not because I'm a big Bitcoin enthusiast, but because let's say that my thing is to try to popularize the idea that you can you can you can navigate markets better as an investor, as a trader by reading the charts rather than trying to figure out the economic fundamentals of this or that asset. Yeah, and you kind of answered my my next question on gold and silver today. You published an article and, and video um, saying that, you know, it's it's looking, uh, it's making sense that uh, the next gold and silver rally could be explosive. And in general, commodities, and as you mentioned, my previous guest, Nicholas Glinsman, uh, you disagreed with him on hyperinflation. Uh, and I think I would have, uh, as well, I agree with you that it's possible hyperinflation, but I think you agree with him on commodities. He says commodities is the uh, macro uh, trade. I think others are echoing this uh, sentiment. And, you know, we're as you said, we're seeing inflation, supply chain breakdowns, droughts, um, and makes total uh, logical sense, as well as the all-time highs uh, in, in the markets. And just, um, I don't know if you have any, any, th any other thoughts on gold, silver, commodities. No, you know, like, I think that the whole commodity complex will, at some point, um, probably move higher. Um, some analysts, and I don't disagree with that, I actually agree with them, uh, they, they anticipate an, a, a commodity super cycle because commodities have been very depressed and they have actually reached uh, uh, all-time lows uh, relative to the valuation of uh, stocks and bonds. And so uh, there will be uh, very momentous price readjustments in the, in the economy. And probably over the next 10 to 25 years, we're going to see commodity prices move much, much higher. Uh, which ones are going to go up? Uh, we don't know. We know that, for example, um, energy prices are certain to go up a lot higher. Uh, the British Ministry of Defense um, has, um, has published, in, that was in 2012 already, they, they published a report in which they expect that oil prices are going to go up to $500 per barrel. 
because it is it is clear that we're losing oil production. Uh, the, all the conventional, we're, we're losing between 4 and 9% of uh, oil production from conventional sources, depending on who you ask. But the 4% a year, that's very optimistic. I think it's closer to like 6 or 7%. So um, not only that, but uh, the, there's there's something called energy uh, return on energy invested, and that's something that's not commonly understood or talked about. But basically, uh, 100 years ago or so, when when you know, like when people just uh, put a hole in the ground and oil came squirting out, uh, you would get for an energy investment of one barrel equivalent, you would get 100 barrels. Of oil out of the ground because it just came gushing out all by itself and then this gradually declined and by 1990s we were at about 40 to 1 so uh, for one barrel of energy barrel equivalent of energy invested you would get about 40 bar barrels out of the ground we are now uh, on average below 15 for global production i think it's around 11 for the united states and all of these alternative uh, sources like fracking, like uh, tar sands and so on, uh, they're, they're in the low single digits, they're, you know, five or six. So energy is becoming increasingly expensive to the society in real terms. So producing energy has become much, much more expensive in real terms, in terms of real energy that has to be expanded to extract energy. So the fact that it's still cheap in monetary terms is is an imbalance it's an anomaly and it will replace price eventually so will british ministry of defense's projection that we're going to see 500 dollars per barrel they project this for 2040 you know but you know 2040 is less than 20 years from now so that's you know that that's that's not that far away it's not even a full generation so yeah we're going to see all that we're going to see all those crises but i i i want to i want to you know finish this um, subject on an optimistic note, because if you let the markets work out these imbalances, if you, if you allow the markets to react and adapt to these environments, uh, the, the human society will adapt. You know, um, if, if, if you have to pay five or $10 per gallon to fill up your car, people will buy smaller cars. Uh, more people will uh, share rides, more people will use public transport. Uh, governments, uh, countries are going to invest in better, more efficient public transport network, you know, like you have in Japan, like you have in Switzerland and so forth. And these things function phenomenally. And, you know, uh, before oil, it wasn't that long ago, we already had industrial revolution. Human societies were advancing. We had innovation, we had engineering and so forth. There's no reason why today with computer-aided design, with all these advanced industrial achievements that we had, we couldn't um, uh, absorb that blow and continue as a civilized society without everything falling apart and without our, us living in caves again. So that sometimes, you know, like people, when they, when they look at, you know, like the Club of Rome, when they, when they do their charts about how it's all going to go to hell, um, I, I think I think it's not necessary to be afraid of that. I think you just need to allow uh, the markets uh, and the society, human societies to adapt to the to these changes.
and they will. And rather than, uh, you know, top down, you have all these ideologues of fourth industrial revolution who are going to tell us how we're going to organize society. And uh, they, are, they, bear, they barely make any sense at all. In all intelligence systems in nature, always, everywhere, intelligence agents, intelligent agency comes top down, uh, bottom up, sorry, not top down. Always, you know, like the, the innovation comes from, from the smallest uh, parts of any structure. So I think the same, the, sh the same should be valid for human societies. Yeah, kind of just to add what you said, uh, I, I, I'm totally against this whole, you know, Klaus Schwab, uh, Davos, Great Reset, Club of Rome. Um, you know, everyone knows this, this new dystopian system they want to implement. But I absolutely, I lived uh, in a yurt in the Gobi Desert in, in Mongolia for a little over a year. I absolutely loved it. I love living in nature in the middle of nowhere. Fortunately, it's, it's my, my family says no. I, I would go back and live there, but my family says no, it's too cold. Uh, and, just, <laughs> and just to add, um, I what you were talking about energy, you agreed with one of my previous guests. I think it was Steve St. Angelo, uh, the New Year's Eve episode, December 31st, 2020. People can go check that out. He, he talks more in depth about what you were saying. I guess the final topic I wanted to broach was, you know, getting a follow up from you on, let's call it the, the, the crown virus 1984. Uh, everything, you know, we talked about in October of 2020 has, I think, only been confirmed uh, and come true in spades. Uh, you very so soberly made the profound analysis that, you know, this is it. This is the battle, the culmination, you know, Huxley's final revolution, as he talked about, you know, Skynet has become self-aware. This is our battle against the uh, Sauron and, and, and Mordor. You know, what fears do you have on where we are headed, uh, considering the social credit vaccine passport systems that are being activated? And, and how do you see things playing out um, with this whole great reset, uh, uh, you know? Well, I have to I have to say that I've been I've been uh, um, as as things unfold, I'm becoming more and more optimistic about the future of humanity, and I'll explain why. Um, I had this impression from the very beginning that uh, what they set out to do is overly ambitious, and what you get is the is the is the is the the archetypal story of. Uh, Icarus, Icarus, I don't know how you say it exactly in English. They, you know, like uh, uh, they're flying too close to the sun. They, they're trying to do too many things. Uh, they're, they're trying, um, the, the, the project is overly ambitious and, and I think that the wheels are coming off and uh, people are waking up. You have an awakening that's drastically different from uh, what it was one year ago. Uh, I think that the, the, the systems and the infrastructure that they would have to have in place and that would have to be operational is not there. They have not prepared the, the digital currencies. They should have. They have not prepared the chip technologies. They should have. Um, they, one of the things that they ideally should have done is to immediately withdraw cash. You know, because when the when the fear is red hot, uh, then you can go forth and tell people, "Oh my God, you know, like you can you can get contaminated by touching cash that other people have touched." Touched. So we have to do away with that from now on. It's all electronic money, and we're gonna introduce uh, central bank digital currencies. They don't have that, so cash is still in circulation. Uh, 
the vaccine, the these 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 things that they're these things that they're administering are obviously uh, not nearly as good as they hoped that they would be, and people are waking up to that. Um, people are not enthusiastic about their children getting injected, so the, you have a very very strong pushback now. And I sense also a very, very strong loss of uh, enthusiasm on the side of people who would have to enforce all this. And then I'll say another thing, which I'm going to be impolite here, but I've been paying attention to the speeches and interviews and statements by various people <clears throat> like Klaus Schwab, like... Uh, like you, Yuval Noah Harari, their you know, like their 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 ideologue in chief, I guess. And I, I have to say that I found I find them staggeringly dumb. They're not smart, and I don't know how they can be as dumb as they are. But I tried to explain it to myself. Well, at first, you know, I was I was so shocked by some of the statements of uh, from Klaus Schwab that I thought that. How could, how could you get, he, you, know, you know, like he was talking about how we're going to have these machines at the airports. They're going to read your mind. They're going to read your thoughts to clear you for travel. Because if you have evil thoughts that this machine is going to say like, no, you cannot travel. And, 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 and he said this, not, not, not exactly in these words. I can't, I can't uh, quote him exactly, but he was saying exactly this. And I thought like, he can't be that dumb. He just cannot be that dumb. But you know, like then I thought they they don't need to really have this technology. They just have to make us believe that they have this technology, you know. And people have to believe that all these information tools and weapons exist and that they're real and that they really function. I'm convinced that one of these things was supposed to be the Theranos, uh, you know, the, the, the Elizabeth Holmes, because they were going to have this uh, phenomenal technology uh, hidden behind the veils of intellectual property that would diagnose you with this or that disease and which people couldn't challenge because it would be hidden behind, you know, trade secret patents, whatever. Um, and it would be everywhere. In every pharmacy, you would just get like a little drop of blood and then they would tell you, ah, you have this, now you have to get the vaccine. And then the fact that Theranos just kind of unraveled and fell apart, I think that was a big blow to their agenda. They didn't have the time and the resources to replace it with a Theranos 2.0, so they had to fall back on PCR tests. Well, too many people know that PCR tests are no good. Too many people know. So, you, you know, like you have a, many, many professionals in the healthcare industry that understand that what they're doing is not right, you know, like, and so their conviction in, in all this is gone. But then I, I think they also, um, <clears throat> you know, we have all these technologies that exist, that are available, that, uh, that exist maybe in the conceptual and, and, and prototype and testing phases, but are far and far away from being uh, possible to implement them on an industrial scale. And so they imagine they, that they have all these levers of control that they can use to get complete control over the societies. And they have all this money. So they go to their experts in, the, in, the, in these universities. And all these experts are, are begging for money. They're gaping for money. And so the experts 
convince them that they can create all these amazing things. And the people who are funding the experts are eager to believe all these fantasies. And so they throw a lot of money at these experts. These experts are creating these, these things. And I think it's like a, like a little groupthink echo chamber where they just convince themselves of things that they can do, but in reality, they're, 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 we're very far from, from being able to uh, develop such technologies in a way that's you know like robust and reliable and 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 that can be implemented on a mass industrial scale so uh, i think that they've convinced themselves of something that is ultimately a fantasy that's not achievable but i think that they are now in a position where they just have to go all the way they cannot retreat they cannot say like well sorry this is not going to work let's just go back to being nice with each other you know, like as 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 um, as Peter as as no uh, not Peter uh, Kenneth Kenneth Galbraith said that the people who find themselves in the position of power and privilege in a society will risk their total destruction be before they will give up any part of their privilege. And we are at the juncture, except that you know, like they are they're trying with they're playing a weaker and weaker hand. Whereas the pushback is gathering pace and it's turning into a tsunami that's going to overwhelm them. And then before, before I wrap this up, I'm going to, I'm going to point out another great fragility of, of what they've done. Uh, they, to do what they do, to execute uh, uh, and with control, they have had to um, consolidate many of the uh, key power structures in society, like media, like the banking and cor corporate world, right? So, you know, like we had 60 uh, media corporations 20 years ago. Now we have five or six. We had uh, tens of thousands of, of, of banks in the United States. Now uh, top five or six have 80% of, of consumer, uh, customer deposits. So... What, what that does is that, you know, like it's easier for them to control five people, but it's also easier to, for us to behead a five-headed Hydra versus a thousand-headed Hydra. So, you know, like everything they're doing is fragile and the farther it goes, the, the more fragile it goes at an accelerating pace. So to wrap it all up, I'm I'm increasingly optimistic, but we have to keep our hats, uh, thinking hats on, and uh, and uh, really think through where we want to take this society because uh, we we get the privilege of I think uh, shaping the future that our coming generations are going to live with. So that's a wonderful privilege, but it's also but it's also um, a risky ride. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but uh, you know, like God. Have we been born in interesting times? Yeah, I, I would. Just, I I think we need to be optimistic. I know in the end, good wins um, in this lifetime and and the next. But um, as you said, each generation fights this evil in in a different form. And you know whether you know whether we we die trying or not. Um, you know, in the end, uh, good wins, and we just have to have a good attitude go, going about it. You know, if 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 I end up getting sent to a quarantine camp, um, I'll be laughing on the way. You know, it's like, <laughs> what, what else can you do? And so we just fight the good fight. Um, and you said, keep, keep your head up, work together, network. Uh, and, yeah. and 
be yeah. joy be joyful um is there any final thought then uh, you'd like to leave us with well i think that we uh, we need to be courageous you know like and and that's not that's not just to say uh, uh let's throw caution to the wind but you know like to think in perspective you know like we had we had world wars you know and those are terrible things but you know like if you look at how many people died in the world war it was a lot of people but you know like it was something like what in world war ii 1.3 of all the french people died and i think like 0.8 of all the british people russians had uh higher um you know higher casualty rates and so on but we're still talking about a relatively small percentage of people so you know like the uh being fearful because something bad might happen to me is i think uh not necessary i think that bad things can happen but the odds of something bad happening to you are not very high regardless and you can also be smart about it you know like you don't have to be you don't have to like uh, rush uh, and bang your head against the wall you know like you can do small subtle smart things uh we can we can grind this thing down with with million acts of of resistance with the mil millions hundreds of millions of acts of uh, refusal to cooperate to uh, uh to comply and so forth and we're going to win this fight there's no doubt about that all right uh you're on twitter at Naked Hedgy. Your websites are thenakedhedgy.com and isystem-tf.com, as well as you're on YouTube. I'll include, include all the links in the description. Is there any other website or project we should know about, or perhaps you can tell us more about iSystem? Well, iSystem, it's, it's, you know, like it's for, for professional users. Uh, iSystem, I basically use it. I, I have to correct you because you, you introduced me as a hedge fund manager. I have to correct that I'm a former hedge fund manager because today I'm more in the publishing business and what I publish is a daily um, daily trend compass reports that generates uh, trend following buy and sell signals on, on about uh, 200 financial and commodities markets. And you can't manage money and do that at the same time because then there's a conflict of interest. You might, you know, like you might, you might front run your... Um, you might front running your trade so that's a uh, that's that that has been a big a big change in my life over the last two years all right okay alex craner he's frequently right on the money uh, i would say follow him uh, on twitter on his new and growing youtube channel check out iSystem if that's your sort of thing and again thanks for being back on geopolitics and empire it's been a privilege, Herwe. Uh, all the best. Thank you for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. I watch practically every podcast you put out. And so uh, upwards and forwards uh, uh, to, the, to the better future. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, 
leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.